Well, hello there, Dr. Nicole here. I am thrilled to share something incredible with you today. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, you'll gain access to a vast subscription library filled with documentary films, web series, mind and body fitness programs, workshops, and courses covering fertility to parenting and everything in between. A few of my favorite titles are The Business of Being Born, Empowered Mama, Belly Dance for Birth, Ease into Sleep, The Afterbirth Plan, and The Core Connection. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can gain full access absolutely free. Just visit informedpregnancy.tv to sign up. Get Informed Pregnancy Plus right now for your informed and empowered parenting journey, all from the comfort of your home. Visit informedpregnancy.tv. Again, that's informedpregnancy.tv. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. In this episode of the podcast, we are talking about nutrition in pregnancy. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN physician, certified integrative health coach, and creator of the Birth Preparation Course, an online childbirth education class that will leave you feeling knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice. See the full disclaimer at ncrcoaching.com forward slash disclaimer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 42, and I am so glad that you are here. This episode today is the culmination of a three-part mini-series of episodes that I've done related to weight during pregnancy. The first was on obesity in pregnancy. That was episode number 40. And then last week was weight gain during pregnancy. That was episode number 41. And I'll link to both of those in the show notes. And I felt that after those two, it was really important to wrap things up with some practical information and advice on how you can best optimize your weight during your pregnancy with your nutrition. 
So today we are talking all about nutrition during pregnancy. I'll talk about macronutrients, micronutrients. We'll learn about food safety things. I'll also tell you some groups who should probably be referred to a dietitian. Now, before we get into the episode, let me give a quick listener shout out. This is to Sarah Beth Harmon, and she left this review in Apple Podcasts, and it says, the title of it is Evidence-Based Info for Hospital Births. And the review says, I have so appreciated listening to Dr. Rankin's podcast during my third pregnancy. I'm a birth junkie of sorts. I love learning about all aspects of pregnancy and birth. And this podcast has been a great addition to my learning. I really appreciate how Dr. Rankins gives evidence-based materials and helps women understand aspects of pregnancy and birth in medical settings, as that is where most women will end up giving birth in the U.S. Even after learning much in my preparation for my first two unmedicated hospital births, I have learned much on this podcast for aspects of pregnancy not often covered elsewhere. For example, I just listened to the episode on GBS in preparation for my own GBS culture this week. Thank you, Dr. Rankins. Well, thank you so much, Sarah Beth Harmon, for leaving that wonderful review in Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it and appreciate that I can help you this third time around. And ladies, let me ask you this. Have you also checked out my online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course? This is a comprehensive online childbirth education class that ensures you are knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered to have the birth you want. And like the podcast, I cover topics related to birth that often aren't covered elsewhere, like mindset like placenta encapsulation, how to do that safely, circumcision, what exactly happens in the hospital after you have your baby. And then, of course, you learn about all the fundamental things as well, like labor and how exactly to push a baby out. So you can learn more about the birth preparation course at ncrcoaching.com forward slash enroll. That link will be in the show notes, of course. And I will let you in on a little secret. If you go through my free online class on how to make a birth plan, then you can get a big discount on the course. The free class is nsarahcoaching.com forward slash register. And that class is all about how to make a birth plan that works to help you have the birth that you want. And again, that little insider secret is that if you go through that free course, you can get a discount on the birth preparation course. So definitely check that out. All right, so let's get to today's episode on nutrition. So the first thing I want to say about nutrition during pregnancy is that OB providers do a horrible, horrible job in general with teaching pregnant women or helping women understand the importance of nutrition. Despite the fact that food can really be considered like medicine in so many ways and is crucial to the way we nourish and our bodies and our health, we actually do not get much training on it in medical school. That may be changing these days some, but not a ton. And we definitely don't get it in residency training to be an OBGYN, despite how important it is. So we really just don't know a lot of details about nutrition. So don't be surprised if what you get from your OB doctor really just consists of a pamphlet of information because 
we really just don't know a lot. Now, with that being said, I'm going to do my best today in the episode to kind of give you a broad overview of some important aspects for pregnancy-related nutrition. And really, when we think about nutrition in pregnancy, the goal is that you really want to eat, and this is the goal regardless whether you're pregnant or not, is eating whole foods, unprocessed foods as much as possible, or minimally processed, staying away from junk food, those kinds of things. And you want to do it so that you gain the appropriate amount of weight during pregnancy, but not too much. You also want to be sure during pregnancy that you have the appropriate supplements for vitamins and minerals because you do need some supplements during pregnancy, and I'll talk about that. Of course, avoiding alcohol and tobacco. And then finally, something that I don't think we talk a lot about is how to handle food safely to avoid those foodborne illnesses. Okay, now here's the truth. I have to shut down one of the most common myths that we've heard about pregnancy. And that is, of course, that pregnancy is a time where you are eating for two. That absolutely is not the case. I hate to burst your bubble. I don't want to spoil your cupcake run or piece of cake or anything like that. But actually, pregnant women only need an additional 300 to 450 calories or so per day, depending on what your pre-pregnancy weight is. And really, most of that should happen in the second and third trimester. You really don't need to increase your energy intake that much in the first trimester. Now, the thing about it is, with that being said, even though you only need an additional 300 or 400 calories a day, some of the nutrient requirements during pregnancy go up a fair amount. And I'll talk about that in a moment. So you really have to focus on making sure those calories count. So you're putting good food into your body. So you really want to be sure that you're taking in high quality, nutrient dense food, and you want to limit those empty calories and that processed food and sugary beverages. Now, keep in mind, as I talk, I know we all have like, you know, cravings for things sometimes. And I don't want this to turn into like you can't eat anything at all. Like there's nothing wrong, obviously, with having a dessert here and there. You just want to do things in moderation. And most of what you eat should be those high quality foods and not so much junk and empty calories. All right, now before I get into the details of nutrition, I want to say right off the bat that there are some groups of people who would really benefit from seeing a registered dietitian from the very beginning. And this is not something that I think we do a very good job of, of OBGYN, of connecting with dietitians to refer women. You know, at least in my experience, it's not something that I see happen as often as it should. Some of that is just limits of not knowing people or some of it is limits of insurance, but there really are some groups of people who would benefit from more formal counseling from a dietitian in regards to nutrition during pregnancy. Okay, so let me go through who those groups of people are. So if you have diabetes, whether you have diabetes before pregnancy or you develop diabetes during pregnancy, you'd probably benefit from seeing a registered dietitian. 
If you have hypertension, you'd probably benefit from seeing a registered dietitian. If you have gastrointestinal conditions like ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease that affect the way you metabolize food or absorb food, I should say, then you should see a dietitian. If you have a history of having a bariatric surgery for weight loss, then again, your ability to absorb nutrients is going to be different. So you should talk to a registered dietitian. Also, if you are overweight, and particularly if you are obese, you should speak to a registered dietitian to come up with some recommendations to help you with healthy eating choices during your pregnancy. And then also finally, and this was maybe a soft call, but if you are a vegan or you are a vegetarian, making sure that you get all of your nutrients in, you may also benefit from talking to a registered dietitian. And as I said, we really underutilize dietitians in our practice. I think we should refer more folks to them. There may be some insurance barriers, but it's certainly worth a look to find out. Did you know that 95% of pregnant women are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Enter Ritual. Their prenatal contains 350 milligrams of eco-friendly vegan omega-3 DHA in every serving. One of the reasons I like Ritual is that it's a female-founded B Corp meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. Now, a place that you can go online to potentially look for yourself is the Academy for Nutrition and Dietetics website. And I'll link that in the show notes. And you can put in your zip code and search by expertise and look for people who have an expertise in maternal nutrition. Now, this isn't, of course, an exhaustive list. It's not going to list everybody that's available, but it can at least give you a place to start. All right, so let's get into some of the food choices. So first, I'm going to start with macronutrients, and then I'll go with micronutrients. And those are just fancy words for Macronutrients are just foods that you need in bigger amounts, like proteins, carbohydrates, fats. Micronutrients are those things that you need in smaller amounts, like minerals, like vitamins, like iron, those kind of things. So as far as the macronutrients, let's first talk about protein. So the National Academy of Medicine, they're the same people who make the recommendations for weight gain during pregnancy. They recommend that pregnant women have 1.1 grams per kilogram per day of protein, which is a little bit higher than the 0.8 grams per kilogram per day that's recommended when you're not pregnant. Now, you probably hear that and you were like, what the heck is she talking about? One point whatever grams per kilogram per day. <laughs> well, kilograms and grams are a unit that are used internationally 
like the United States is kind of the only backwards place that uses units that don't make sense in relation to each other very well, like pounds and ounces and feet and inches, kilograms, milligrams, grams, all of those things relate better. So that's a better international standard. So let me just break it down for you in terms of numbers that we understand like pounds. So if you weigh 150 pounds, then in order to convert that to kilograms, you divide it by 2.2 and you get 68 kilograms. So if you weigh 150 pounds, then you weigh 68 kilograms and then you need 1.1 grams per 68 kilograms. So per each kilogram per day for protein. So that works out to be 75 grams of protein a day. I hope you follow that math for me. You know, I have a background in math. I majored in math in college. So math kind of comes easily to me. I know it doesn't necessarily come easily to everybody else. So 75 grams if you weigh 150 pounds. So just to give you an idea of some sources of protein, it's not that hard to get to 75. Um, An egg has six grams of protein. A chicken breast will have 53 grams of protein, and that's like a typical serving, not like a whole breast you find in the package. A, a serving of chicken breast is actually just like what you can fit roughly in the palm of your hand. Non-fat Greek yogurt will have 17 grams of protein. A cup of lentils has 18 grams of protein. So there are plenty of options and choices that you have to get to the amount of protein that you need and do so healthily. You can also do it with nuts. That's another good way to get protein in. We do discourage using things like protein powders or protein shakes or anything like that. There is some evidence that they may be harmful during pregnancy. Now let's move on and talk about carbohydrates. So carbohydrate requirements also increase during pregnancy up to 175 grams a day. When you're not pregnant, it's 130 grams per day, roughly, for women. And what you really want to focus on is consuming those whole foods. So fruits, vegetables, whole grains for your carbohydrates. Those are called complex carbohydrates, and they have lots of minerals, protein, fiber, So you get more bang for your buck with those carbohydrates. So again, whole fruits, vegetables, whole grain breads, beans, potatoes that are steamed or baked, including their skin. Those are all good sources of complex carbohydrates. You really want to stay away from those highly processed or simple carbohydrates. Simple carbohydrates provide a lot of calories and they provide energy, but they have very little nutritional value. So some simple carbohydrates are things like white bread, white rice, white pasta, white sugar. All of those things are simple carbohydrates with very little value. Junk food, refined sugar sweet cereals, all of those things, again, they'll provide the grams, but they don't really provide much nutrition with it. You want to focus on those more complex carbohydrates. The other thing you want to do with carbohydrates is make sure you're getting carbohydrates that have lots of fiber. I think we underestimate or underemphasize the importance of fiber, not just in our 
regular diet, not just in pregnancy, but also in our regular diets. As a matter of fact, I did an episode with a gastroenterologist. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I'll link it in the show notes with Dr. Serena Pasricha. And she talked about gut health and the gut microbiome in pregnancy. And one of the things she talked about is the importance of fiber and how we really need to do more fiber in our diet. So in addition to the carbohydrates, you want to make sure you have fiber. Now, just some examples of the content amount for different types of foods. So whole wheat bread will have 17 grams of carbohydrates, one gram of fiber, bananas, 27 grams of carbs, three grams of fiber. A whole pear will have 28 grams of carbs and six grams of fiber. A cup of corn has 41 grams of carbohydrates, five grams of fiber. A potato has 37 grams of carbs, four grams of fiber. So there are options for you that are healthy, that taste good, that can help you have more of those complex carbohydrates and stay away so much from those simple carbohydrates. Now, again, I don't want you to like completely like deny yourself or you don't have to be like crazy obsessed about it. Of course, you can have a cupcake or a piece of cake or a cookie every now and again. You just don't want that to be the primary content of your diet. Now, as far as fats, interestingly, when I looked this up, and I was kind of surprised about this, but the optimal types and quantity of fat intake during pregnancy hasn't really been nailed down. There's not a lot of data that tells us what's the right amount of fat to eat during pregnancy. So I would say for this, just kind of do it in moderation like other things. Now, one thing we do know is that trans fatty acids are bad during pregnancy, but we really shouldn't be eating those trans fatty acids anyway. Trans fatty acids are what's called an unsaturated fatty acid. They are found in things like margarine and manufactured cooking oils, and it comes from the way that they are processed. You can look for trans fatty acids by looking for partially hydrogenated oil in the ingredients. And it's also trans fatty acids are listed in the nutritional facts or information on food. So you want to avoid those. I also personally, you know, I can't, this podcast is for educational purposes only. I can't tell you what to do, but I personally don't eat margarine. I only eat real butter. So that's my two cents about what I do personally to help avoid trans fatty acids. Okay, so that's it for the macronutrients. Let's talk about the micronutrients. So there are a whole slew of things that have recommended amounts during pregnancy. And I'm just going to go through all of them and what they are. So there are recommended amounts for vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K. Those are what's called fat-soluble vitamins. Then there's also recommendations for vitamin C, thiamine, riboflavin, niacin, vitamin B6, folate, and vitamin B12. Those are the water-soluble vitamins. And then for minerals, there are recommendations for calcium, phosphorus, iron, zinc, iodine, and selenium. Now, I'm going to talk about a couple of those in a minute. 
But the short story is that we do not have a varied enough diet in the U.S. and our soil is pretty nutrient poor. So you are going to need some sort of vitamin supplement during pregnancy in order to meet all of those requirements. It's quite challenging to meet the requirements with just your diet alone. It's possible, but in our U.S. diet, it's just really, really challenging. Now, Dr. Ann Kennard, who is a fellow OBGYN of mine, she's trained in integrative medicine. She's also a nutritionist and herbalist. She came onto the podcast on episode 24 and talked about the supplements that she recommends during pregnancy. And I'll link to that episode. It's ncrcoaching.com forward slash episode 24. Now, let me talk for a minute about a few of those specific ones that are more common or that you hear more about. The first one is iron. Iron is quite necessary for both your baby to grow and for the placenta to grow. It also helps you to have an increased amount of energy and iron stores to help feed this growing baby. Now, we know that iron deficiency is actually fairly common in pregnant women. Roughly up to 20% or so of pregnant women can have iron deficiency anemia, and that can go up to be about 30% even in the third trimester. It tends to be more common in Black women, also tends to be more common in Mexican-American women. Now, pregnant women definitely need additional iron compared to when you're not pregnant, just really twice as much, an additional 15 milligrams, so a total of 30 milligrams of iron per day. Now, there are two different types of iron, and the reason that I'm telling you this is because they are absorbed differently. So the one that's absorbed easiest, meaning it's most bioavailable to the way humans absorb iron, is iron that's found in meat, that's found in poultry, and that's found in fish. So that type of iron is more bioavailable, and that's heme iron. Now, non-heme iron is the type of iron that is found in all plant foods. It's found in supplements. It's found in grains. And it's a little bit harder for our bodies to absorb it. It makes it easier for us to absorb it if that iron is accompanied with vitamin C-rich foods or if you eat it with meat, whether or not the meat has iron or not. So. You may hear your doctor talk about, oh, you need to take iron and make sure you have enough vitamin C as well. Now, on the flip side, absorbing that non-heme iron is even made more difficult if you take it with dairy products or if you take it with coffee. So just be mindful of that if you're taking an iron supplement that you may want to take it with something like orange juice that's vitamin C rich in order to help the absorption in your body. Now, most women can get the extra iron that they need from a prenatal vitamin, but if you happen to be anemic, if you fall into that 20 to 30% category, you may need to take extra iron. Now, most often we recommend that you take it on a daily basis, but you can even take it intermittently like three times a week and still get a lot of benefits. Sometimes iron can be rough on your stomach. So if you notice that you can't take it every day, then try to back it down to every other day and see if you can tolerate it like that. And then, of course, you want to try and increase your iron through natural sources as well. So things like spinach, 
lentils, fortified cereals are a good way to get extra iron. Lean beef, salmon, canned tuna are all great sources of iron. All right, let's move on and talk about calcium and vitamin D. So the recommended amount of calcium actually does not change with pregnancy. It's the same as when you are not pregnant. So that is 1,000 milligrams a day of calcium. And roughly about 24% of pregnant women do not get the recommended amount of calcium. On the flip side, that's 75% of pregnant women who do, but there are about one in four women who don't. Now we know that dairy products are like a tried and true good source of calcium. A couple pieces of cheese and some milk will get you, a glass of milk will get you the calcium that you need. And that can be cow's milk, it can be goat's milk. I personally don't like milk. I don't drink milk. So for me, that's not a great source. Now, I do love cheese. I love just about any type of cheese except cottage cheese. I find cottage cheese to be disgusting. But if you want to eat any type of cheese, including cottage cheese, then those are good sources of dairy. And again, milk as well. A little ice cream every now and again also is a good source of dairy or not a bad source of dairy. How about that? If you want to do those milk substitutes like soy milk or almond milk, then those are also reasonable sources of calcium. If you're a vegetarian, then tofu is a good source of calcium. I was vegetarian for a long time, probably, oh God, like 15 years, 10 years or so. But now I eat chicken and fish, but I never could quite get into tofu. For some reason, the texture doesn't quite sit well with me, but tofu is a great source of calcium as well. Also spinach, white beans. I personally get calcium through calcium fortified orange juice is a good source for me. That's what I drink. And kale and broccoli as well. Now, calcium and vitamin D kind of go together because of the way they're absorbed. Now, vitamin D, we know, has been like all the rage. Vitamin D this, vitamin D that, vitamin D everything. And I swear everyone has low vitamin D. Now, it's recommended that Pregnant women get 600 international units of vitamin D. Most prenatal vitamins have 400 international units, so you will get most of what you need through a prenatal vitamin. And then some other sources that you can go to are salmon, shrimp, again, fortified milk, fortified orange juice. Most fortified orange juice with calcium is fortified with vitamin D as well. And then fortified cereals as well can give you a good source of vitamin D. If your vitamin D is super duper low, then your doctor may recommend giving you extra amounts for a short period of time to get it back up. There have also been lots of studies looking at whether or not extra supplementation with vitamin D may be helpful for pregnancy and outcomes, but there's no evidence that it will be helpful. And then the final one that I want to talk about is. Folic acid. I'm sure you've heard about folic acid and how you need to take extra folic acid because it prevents something called neural tube defects. Those are issues with how the spine forms, and you really need to be taking folic acid at least one month before pregnancy because these defects happen very early in pregnancy. So you really should be taking it one month before. That's why, if you're just thinking about 
getting pregnant, you can go ahead and start taking your prenatal vitamin now, even if you're not pregnant. And then you also want to take it for the first three months after conception to reduce that risk of neural tube defects. Most prenatal vitamins, I should say actually all prenatal vitamins, will have the recommended amount of folic acid that you need to get in order to prevent neural tube defects. And then some other natural sources are spinach, broccoli, asparagus, again, those fortified cereals, and beans. Now, it's also important to note that vitamins in particular can also be a problem in excess during pregnancy. So it's not necessarily that you take, 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 take to the highest levels possible. It can actually be detrimental if you take too much of some specific vitamins. A particular one is vitamin A. Vitamin A in excess can affect a developing embryo. So when very, very tiny and one food source that has a lot of vitamin A is liver. So if you happen to eat a lot of beef liver, especially, then you need to decrease that, particularly during the first trimester. Now, I personally cannot stand liver. Oh my gosh, I remember once, and I'm getting off on a tangent here, when I was growing up, And my mother substituted liver for steak and tried to get us to think that this liver was steak. That substitution did not work. We did not eat it. But anyway, if you happen to be a lover of liver and no judgment here, then you do need to back it down, particularly beef liver in the first trimester. Also, excess iodine can cause issues with thyroid development in babies. And then excess vitamin C, D, and E have been associated with adverse pregnancy outcomes like preterm labor or your water breaking early. Now, really quickly before I finish up or wrap up talking about and go on to food safety, I want to quickly touch upon a couple of things. Gluten-free diet, artificial sweeteners, probiotics, and DHA. I feel like I'm talking really fast this episode, so I hope you guys are getting everything that I'm saying here. I'm trying to get in a lot of content. All right, so let's talk about gluten-free diet. There is no evidence that a gluten-free diet has any significant health benefits in women who don't have a specific condition called celiac disease or proven gluten sensitivity. With that being said, I know tons of folks who say they just feel better after a gluten-free diet, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You do need to be aware, though, that if you eliminate gluten-rich foods, you may not be getting enough thiamine, niacin, folate, and iron. But as long as you're substituting with other whole grains that are gluten-free or and also your folic acid, vitamins, then you should be okay. You really shouldn't have any nutritional issues if you have a gluten-free diet. As far as artificial sweeteners, there's no evidence that using artificial sweeteners, NutraSweet, Splenda, Sweet and Low, Stevia, that any of those increase the risk of birth defects any more than in the general population. Now, there is some concern that chronically using these actually increases the risk of obesity and some type of metabolic diseases in adults, but that really hasn't been studied in pregnancy. So as far as we know, there is no harm if you use artificial sweeteners. Now for probiotics, we know that probiotics are increasingly popular. We also know that 
probiotics have some benefits, at least outside of pregnancy. There haven't been a lot of studies about probiotic use during pregnancy, but there certainly haven't been any increased risk of bad outcomes that we are aware of. There's not a lot of data available, but as best we can tell, it certainly doesn't cause any harm. And there is some limited evidence that it may be beneficial. It may reduce like preeclampsia, may reduce your ability to metabolize glucose or reduce your risk of gestational diabetes. But again, those are tiny studies, so there's not a recommendation either way. Maybe it helps, as far as we know, probiotics don't hurt. And then lastly, you may have heard about DHA. I'm not going to say the long name for it because I just can't pronounce it, but DHA is a type of fat and it's necessary for normal development of your baby's brain and your baby's eyes. Now, the best source of DHA is fish. And I'll talk about the types of fish that are safe to eat in a minute. But if you happen not to eat fish, then definitely get a prenatal vitamin with DHA added so you can support the development of your baby's brain. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode, and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. Okay, so we are in the home stretch. Let's finish up by talking about food safety. And really what I'm going to talk about here is just avoiding those foodborne infections. There are foodborne illnesses that can happen during pregnancy that can cause issues with miscarriage, can cause preterm labor, they can even cause death, or for babies to be born with congenital malformations or diseases. Probably the biggest one that we hear about and worry about, and that can be quite toxic, is listeria. And listeria is actually fairly common at low levels in processed and unprocessed foods. Now, the thing about listeria is that it is not present in hot cooked foods. So that is why you may often hear the recommendation of 
If you eat processed food, make sure it's warmed up because listeria is not present in hot cooked foods. It can be present, however, in processed deli meats, hot dogs, soft cheeses, some smoked seafoods, and meat spreads. It's also rarely transmitted by fresh fruits and vegetables. So, you know, I think it's okay. I should say this. Everybody's a little bit different about the recommendations for processed meat because, you know, you have some people who eat, you know, turkey sandwiches for lunch or that kind of thing. If you want to be extra cautious, then heat the meat up. But do know that the risk, if you don't, of listeria is potentially there. There are lots of OBGYNs who are comfortable with saying, you know, most likely that it's safe as long as you, you know, wash your hands and all that kind of good, great stuff. So really just to reduce the risk of foodborne illness, much more important than say like not eating lunch meat, it's just good old fashioned clean practices. So wash your hands frequently. Only eat meats, fish, poultry, eggs that are completely fully cooked, nothing raw. And definitely avoid unpasteurized juice, unpasteurized dairy products. And it should clearly say on the label if it's pasteurized or unpasteurized. If you can't tell for sure, then don't eat it. You want to rinse your fruits and vegetables, particularly anything that you're not going to peel under running water for at least 30 seconds. Also, avoid eating raw sprouts. It's actually nearly impossible to wash all of the bacteria out of raw sprouts. So alfalfa sprouts, bean sprouts, clover sprouts, it's very, very difficult to wash all of the bacteria out. So if you can, avoid those raw sprouts. And then also, wash everything that comes in contact with raw meat or fish or your poultry. So all of your raw meat products, you really need to wash those prep surfaces well. You can do your countertops, you can do your cutting boards with a solution of a teaspoon of liquid bleach and then put that in a quart of water. Or you can just use like Clorox wipes. Those things are great. And you just leave them to dry. So you wipe it down and leave it to dry. I also personally recommend that you have a separate cutting board for vegetables and a separate cutting board for raw meats. So you're not cross-contaminating in that regard. My husband is a stickler for that. We have like two meat cutting boards and three vegetable cutting boards. All right. And then the last two things I'm talking about, we talked about a lot in this episode, are caffeine. You want to limit the amount of caffeine to 200 milligrams. Some sources say 300, but 200 to 300 milligrams a day. That's the equivalent of an eight ounce cup of coffee a day. I personally drank that at least during both of my pregnancies. I'm a big coffee addict. I should admit and say I drink coffee every day. And then also the last thing is fish. So pregnant women really should only eat cooked fish. However, don't like freak out if you've eaten sushi grade fish before you knew you were pregnant. Most likely that is generally safe. Just don't eat any more raw fish going forward. And as far as fish, if you've followed any information about fish during pregnancy, you know 
that we have gone back and forth and forth and back and eat fish, don't fish, eat this fish, don't eat that fish. But I think we have finally kind of settled that discussion and debate about, and it all centered around mercury. And it's still, to a large extent, the concern about mercury, but I think we kind of took it too far at one point and cut women completely off fish without realizing that fish also has some benefits like the DHA, like I talked about. So you want to avoid eating fish that is high in mercury. And some types of fish that may be high in mercury are sharks, swordfish, marlin, tilefish, and orange roughy. Now, I don't know about you, but none of those are fish that I typically eat on a regular basis. Maybe they may be in a fancy restaurant, but like what you're going to pick up at the store or in your local fish market, probably not one of those types of fish. Now, what you do want to eat is two to three servings a week, if you can. Even that kind of feels like a lot, but two to three servings per week of seafood that's low in mercury. And examples of low in mercury seafood are catfish, cod, crab, flounder, lobster, salmon, shrimp, canned light tuna. So those are all common things that you may pick up in the fish market. So you can eat those two to three times a week or one serving of what's called a better, a good choice. So not quite as ideal as the ones I just mentioned, but still okay once a week, like halibut, snapper, or sea bass. Those are the fish that you can eat, again, just a little bit less frequently than the other ones that I mentioned. Okay, so that is it for nutrition during pregnancy. I know that was a lot of information, but I hope you found it helpful. Now, just to recap, pregnant women only need an additional three to 450 calories a day. It doesn't take much to get that. So we are not eating for two. And you want to get to that number with the variety of foods, whole foods, limit processed foods. You want to try to eat things as close to nature as possible. A rough estimate of what you can eat every day and stay within your calorie content limits are two to two and a half cups of fruit, three to three and a half cups of vegetables, six to 10 ounces of grains, six to seven ounces of protein, which is like a nice big chicken breast, three cups of dairy. So when you hear that, that's actually quite a bit of food, two cups of fruit, three cups of vegetables, the amount of protein. It's actually not like a restrictive sort of diet. So you have plenty of options if you make good food choices. And let me tell y'all guys, good food doesn't have to taste bad. I think there's always been this association that good or healthy food tastes bad. But in actuality, healthy food can be quite delicious. It just depends on how you cook it and finding good recipes. One of my favorite places for delicious vegetarian recipes is the website Cookie and Kate. They have tons of great stuff there, and I'll link to that in the show notes. I also get some great recipes by email from the New York Times Cooking. They send like five recipes, free recipes a week. I also get some great recipes from a website called Gimme Some Oven, and I'll link to those in the show notes as well. And don't be afraid to try things like quinoa, lentils, different types of beans, like chickpeas. You'd be surprised how much like adding garlic and onions and spices and a little bit of heat with things like red pepper flakes 
can really make your food be delicious. Healthy food does not have to be bland and taste bad. It also doesn't have to be expensive. If you look in most grocery stores these days, there are organic sections that are store brands. Like around here, we have Kroger and Kroger has like, I think it's called Simply Selective or Simple Select, something like that. But they have their own store brand of organic products. Yes, they're a little more expensive than the non-organic products, but they're not like break the bank. So you certainly have some options available to you to have good, healthy food that tastes good and is not terribly expensive. Now, if you have a great resource for tasty recipes, then post it in the All About Pregnancy and Birth Facebook group. I also post recipes sometimes there as well. Now, if you're not a part of the group, you definitely should be. It is a great place to connect with other pregnant women. And I will link to how you can join the group in the show notes, or you can just search All About Pregnancy on Facebook and it should pop up for you. Now, also be sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple podcast or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please leave me a review. It helps other women find the show. It helps the show to grow. And most importantly, I can give you a shout out on a future episode. Now, next week on the podcast, I initially intended to have an interview because y'all probably tired of hearing my voice for these past three episodes and ready for me to get back to some interviews. But I need to talk about something that's really important right now and also time sensitive. And that is influenza and pregnancy. Yes, the flu and pregnancy. So that will be next week. So come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a healthy and happy pregnancy and birth. Today's episode is brought to you by Women's Wellness Coaching by Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins. Head to ncrcoaching.com to check out my free one-hour mini course on how to make your birth plan, as well as my comprehensive online childbirth education class, the Birth Preparation Course. With over eight hours of content and a private course community, the birth preparation course will leave you knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Head to ncrcoaching.com to learn more. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.